I'm Patrice Luca, Senior Policy Analyst with the Independent Women's Forum, and I'm filling in for Beverly Halberg. Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast from Independent Women's Forum, where we talk with women, and sometimes men, about relevant policy issues that impact you and the people you care most about. We deliver facts and correct misperceptions about our society and public policy. We make sure you have the information needed to come to your own conclusion, because let's face it, you're in control. I think, you think, she thinks. Today, our special guest is actor, producer, and activist Isaiah Washington. You may know him from Spike Lee classics like Get on the Bus in Crooklyn or the TV show The 100, but Washington is best known for his role as Dr. Preston Burke on the ABC medical drama television series Grey's Anatomy. Washington is also passionate about people thinking for themselves and and fighting back against the cancel culture. He joined the hashtag walkaway movement from the Democratic Party and is a supporter of President Donald Trump, even attending a White House celebration this year of bipartisan criminal justice. So, Isaiah, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you, Patrice, for having me. We're in the final quarter and almost heading into 2020. How about that? How about that? Indeed. Um, You know, I think uh, talking about 2020, um, one of those issues that's going to be a a big one um, is is just in general the the uh, the role that Hollywood plays on culture uh, and in trying to get people elected and and so it's a treat to speak with someone who lives and works in Hollywood about the culture there um, but I, I'd love to for you to share about your journey in in, in the internet entertainment uh, world with our with our listeners you know I think that's a good question um, thank you for giving me first of all thank you Patrice for having me again and thank you to uh, uh, Victoria, <laughs> uh, who put this all together, and um, I'll save her last name just in case she doesn't get embarrassed. But uh, thank you, IWF, um, for giving me this platform. Um, I will start with this. My activism has basically been a part of me since I was um, studying at Howard University um, back in the late 80s. Um, I had been working with a young artist in the outside of my theater program at Howard to try to get extra credit and, and, and actually ex, extra money at the Sanctuary Theater in Washington, D.C. But in doing so, um, um, this, this particular man, Clayton LaBeouf, uh, was an avid uh, supporter of Randall Robinson's Trans Africa at the time, who was one of the stalwarts or one of the uh, major influences to really get the world and the nation uh, on the path of seeking um, freedom for Nelson Mandela while he was prisoner at Robben Island and ending apartheid. So unbeknownst to me, I, my indoctrination had come only out of working as an actor um, because I did a play called Tied Apart, uh, which is the reverse of apartheid, and I played the South African. So my interest in being a liberator and a protector um, really started as a, as a child. Uh, watching my mom uh, deal with various forms of abuse from my biological father when she was married to him and left him, then consequently after a series of stepfathers after that. So I've always had this thing, as my wife calls it, a hero complex. I think it's a little bit more uh, more elegant than that. So I choose to consider myself a protector and a liberator. And in that, whenever I've seen injustice, uh, particularly from what perceives or I perceive as something from a force or an individual that is 
what we now call so freely and frequently bullies, I've never really had a lot of respect for that behavior. Uh, whether that bullying came from an individual or whether it came from a group or a mindset uh, or an organization uh, or even another nation um, for that matter. If it looked like that needed to be taken on and to be addressed, then I was your guy. So my activism always started there. Uh, also, uh, while being at Howard University, I found out how black I was and how black I wasn't. And what I mean by that, colorism, unfortunately, was rampant in 1987 on that campus. And I was disappointed at that because I, at this time I'd already been married and divorced. I was 23. I've already traveled the world, already been in the military for four years. So my level of maturity just wasn't at the, at the same level as some of the students' body uh, while I was there. So I saw a lot of things, again, that made me feel like I need to engage. Um, I suffered a, a number of uh, negative things based on my lips, my coarseness of my hair, my nose, and my color of my skin that said to me that, well, okay, if this is an issue amongst my own people, then that means I need to engage in a different way. And I decided at that point uh, to not go into theater management, but to become an actor, a serious actor, and then turn my image into something that I knew that within 10 years would be embraced by not only the country, but the world, that they will fall in love with my image based on the work and the choice that I choose to engage, whether I'm playing, quote unquote, a good guy or a bad guy. I've always used my work as my activism. I've always used my work to challenge those who may have a particular opinion about a particular individual. Uh, if you even look at Romeo Must Die, everyone fell in love with my character because he thought he was a great guy. He was the, the lead character's, Daryl Linden's character's best friend. The basic guy was playing Iago. A lot, of the, a lot of the things that kept me working in this business early, like myself and Don Cheadle, is that we were considered street savvy enough, but yet intelligent enough to write our own parts. Most of the the including clockers in Crooklyn, where I, I was unshaven in Crooklyn. And I, I, I said to myself, I'm not going to shave again until I find another part that is worthy of my clean face, so to speak. And that came about with Dr. Burke. So if you look at my first major movie in Crooklyn and you mm -hmm. fast forward to Dr. Burke, you'll see my dimples. <laughs> but most, mostly everything in between was my activism of saying no no, what does my skin color, my broad lips, my broad nose, uh, my nappy head or beard have to do with my intellect? You will see a lot of my characters. I have different kinds of hair, colored hair. People thought for years in Hollywood that I was from Cameroon until they bring me to a room and realize I didn't have a British accent. Then all of a sudden, oh, he's not a real African. So I didn't get the part. I've had people say that to me. Well, you're not a, you're, you're just an American? You're, you're black? And I would say, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we thought you didn't get on the bus. And we thought you were from London pretending to be Black American. I've had them actually say that to me to my face. Well, so, I, I think it speaks to how great a, an actor that you are that you know, um, you know you, you're not defined by just your features um, or the way you look, but you're divine, defined by the quality of your work. And you, you, you made that decision for yourself, which, which I think is, speaks to that independent thinking. Um, you know, I, I want to relate that to 
this kind of walkaway movement. You know, why did you join the walkaway movement? And 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 please explain to our listeners what is hashtag walkaway. Again, um, that's a good question. Thank you for asking it. Again, um, whenever I'm confronted with a wall, and not the wall that the president is building, but uh, a ceiling of what mm-hmm. I feel is uh, contemporary ignorance uh, or resistance, I will walk away. I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to have been with me when I made my first trip in West uh, Africa, the West African nation, Sierra Leone. Jackie Coker, uh, who was a wonderful friend and supporter of me, bridging, trying to bridge the gap between Africans and African Americans. I did a, um, a documentary on it called Bound, Africans versus African Americans, because I've always been interested in why Africans, there's this fissure and this disdain between, you know, indigenous Africans in America and African Americans in America. So when I got hit by the press, after Fox News, uh, obvious reasons, Terry picked one of my tweets that implied that I was trying to make one president look bad and another president look good, which actually I was, in, in, in context, I was actually speaking out of the irony that, wow, um, when I was having this conversation with this Senator Obama, before he became the president, because he's Kenyan, I thought we had an understanding of what I was, the mission that I thought he sent me on which I achieved by getting my dual citizenship, building a school, all these great things, that we were going to have a focus on Africa at some point within his eight years tenure, and we never really did. In fact, uh, he actually had helped support getting Gaddafi removed, okay? Mm-hmm. I have always been a Pan-Africanist. So when I saw the walkaway hashtag that I talked to Jackie Coker, I was upset at the press, so I decided I'm going to wage war against liberal media, mainstream media. I'm going to war. I'm walking away <laughs> from mainstream media. I'm done. I'm going to walk away from all the bad things, the bullies, the bully me. I'm going to walk away. So everything that I was saying, bringing up my work, and everything that I was being attacked vociferously by the left, I remember spending eight, 12 hours a day on Twitter just countering those attacks by reminding people that was coming to hate me on my Twitter, letting them know who I am. I started to feel like I was on trial and I won my case because I was prepared for the, another attack, but not at this level. And I certainly wasn't prepared because I was actually at the White House doing something good because of the first step back. I could not understand that. I could not believe that a, here again, the media is going to try to take my head off out of context for another situation 12 years ago. And now because I'm actually in the White House representing African-American men and helping free people from a president who everybody said would never do anything good, let alone the Republican Party doing anything good for the black community, I just couldn't reconcile that. So I didn't get really angry. I got decisively and I got strategic and decided, okay, if you want me to be a supporter of of 45, I will be probably one of the most impactful supporters of this president in the history of presidencies. <laughs> That's what I decided. <laughs> I decided, so, so if this is the narrative that you want, you're going to get it. Well, and what you're a narrative you've written. Um, 
Isaiah. I mean, I, I think this is a great time to talk about criminal justice reform because we are coming up on the one-year anniversary that President Trump signed it into office. It signed it into law. Uh, this is a bipartisan bill. Um, bipartisan is a dirty word in Washington today, but it actually got done. Um, and thanks to President Trump pushing, using his political capital to, to get conservatives on board with this bill. That's how it got passed. So you tell me, what was it like sitting at the White House the day earlier this year? I believe you were at a White House event celebrating the passage of this bill. You know, why is it so important for all of America, but also Black America, but, but but Black Americans in particular. You know, that's another good question. Um, again, it goes back to my instincts of being a protector and a liberator. Um, when Brandon Strzok reached out to me, because apparently, obviously, I had been using his hashtag "Walk Away" without knowing who he was, I really have this permission. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's how he and I. Uh, came together and and he obviously been watching me and been watching me from from the sidelines of what was happening to me in the press and we joined forces and so you know I'm obviously a supporter of Brandon Strzok and he's allowed me to use his hashtag walk away legitimately uh, and inside of that he we talked about again being a protector and liberator of people out of ignorance of people out of incarceration and yes I mean people I think lose a lot of of um, they lose the focus on on being so busy dealing with what we call this this Trump derangement syndrome, and my focus has been pretty much like Frederick Douglass's focus uh, by creating the LRA, the Legacy uh, uh, Republican Alliance, which is my new political action committee. Said we have to refocus and really focus on what we want. Do we want to abolish ignorance as we know it? Seriously. And if we do, what does that look like? And what would it entail? Do we really want to abolish corruption? You know, or let's say poverty, which comes out of corruption. Once and for all, for the next hundred years, if we do, what does that entail? And what does that look like? Um, do we want to abolish all forms of slavery? Whatever they may be, spiritual, okay? Intellectual, physically. Do we want to abolish slavery as we know it? What does that look like? What will that entail? These are all the fundamental principles coming out of this, this create party that was created in 1854 that was born out of the, the racism of, of President Pierce at the time dealing with the Kansas-Nebraska Act that wanted to keep the, abolish, the abolitionists at bay and keep slavery in place. And this man named Frederick Douglass was at the forefront of that in 1854, who I really feel a kinship with or always have. I would say that I've been a Frederick Douglass Republican that never had a home. Never had a home. The first time <laughs> I ever voted in my life outside of the military that I felt compelled to vote. And it was purely on emotion. And I voted twice in my life of 56 years as an adult. I've only voted twice. Wow. Only voted twice at, at the presidential election. And I wasted both of them on President Obama. Mm. I would never make that mistake again, as long as I live, to vote on emotion and not policy. And that is what I hope will resonate with people that look like me and people that don't look like me, is that it's very difficult to get the research done if you don't do the research yourself. You can't just click on Google and Wikipedia and call that research. It's not enough. 
And I'm really like shocked and appalled how many people that have access to, you know, the White House Congress.gov, but don't use it. They refuse to look at the accomplishments of this 45th president of the United States. Absolutely refuse. So you can't have a coherent conversation with me if you are choosing your experiential perspective. You're making this experiential perspective say that if I don't know that it exists, if I don't know about it, then it doesn't exist. Willfully going that because if I don't do the research, if I don't listen to the truth, then it doesn't exist. And you can't change my mind. That is not only dangerous, that is not only rips at the very fabric of our nation called Republican, all of its flaws in this experiment called the United States. We're not perfect. I know there's a lot of bad issues and flaws that have happened, even to me, but we have always overcome through our humanity. I believe that as an artist, I will continue to fight for that and believe that, is that criminal justice reform starts with us, Hmm. our humanity. And it was my humanity that brought me to the White House in spite of what I was told about President Trump. It didn't matter. Being a protector and a liberator supersedes any and everything of what I think I know about a human being. Why? Because we cannot get out of this life alive. So if I did not go to the White House and support him, then something would have been wrong with me as a human being. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, that that reminds me something you just said, um, both about criminal justice reform, but the humanity of how we speak with one another and how we address issues touches on this movement, this cancel culture movement, um, uh, where if, if I don't agree with you, I'm not going to listen to you. I, I don't care what you have to say. Um, and I'm just going to do whatever is at my use, whatever is at my disposal to destroy your reputation um, to ensure that no one else is is impacted by what you have to say. Um, it's just a way to silence people. And, and I think, unfortunately, it's a tool used by those on the left to silence those on the right. Now, we've talked before, and you've said that you are probably the first victim of the cancel culture. Well, explain that and, and explain, you know, do you think we've reached a point where maybe we will see the cancellation of the cancel culture? I think you nailed you, you, you hit the head on, on the nail, or how do you say that term? I'm sorry, you, you, you hit the... Nail on the head? The, yeah, the nail on the head, or you hit something like that. Uh, you hit the nail on the head, absolutely. I really, I, I believe in time that a council culture is going to cancel itself. I, as I see now dealing with most of them and toying with them, I like to figure my food on Twitter. When I deal with those that are trying to cancel me and realize that you canceled me 12 years ago, so if I was canceled 12 years ago, by something that was taken out of context by a wrong narrative 12 years mm-hmm. ago, and I've still been working successfully, then that means in any argument or any theory, I'm not canceled. <laughs> so what does cancel, what does cancel, what, how impactful is it really? Does it cause pain? Is it embarrassing to the individual? Of course, of course it is. It's all those things, but ultimately it's not, it's not, it's not canceling me out. It's not killing me off. Uh, and I question those who rely on it as a tool and it's become a political tool for only specific agendas. And those that are using this cancel culture are not interested in, 
I think, humanity or what the people really think. They're only interested in the self-aggrandizement. They're interested in empowering themselves or justifying why they are in the particular seat that they're in. Therefore, the squad. I look at these young women that have used their million I don't know how they got over a million followers over Twitter, whether they bought them or not, neither, <laughs> neither here or there, but that they're using the same cancel culture in our politics. And what is happening is they're ending up canceling themselves out. Matter of fact, the squad is not as strong as the squad. The squad is now the buy. <laughs> There's only two left. You know, it was one, then one disappeared, then it was three, then one just fell off, and now there's just two that are getting the headlines that all four of them once controlled. You see how that works? So I, I, again, I'll give you an example mm-hmm. of how cancel culture, when it's not authentic, when it's not based in, in anything that is for all of the people, we the people, mm-hmm. and it's only based for that one person, that one entity to, 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 to get its agenda out, it falls apart. It falls apart. It doesn't hold up. Uh, so I suspect that council culture, particularly after the re-election of, of 45, council culture will be done. It will be over. It will be a moot point. It will be just a trend that went on maybe 10 years too long. Hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not canceled. I'm not canceled. Right. I'm sitting here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I several movies coming up. So, you know, I'm still working and work, choosing to do things that I want to do. And it's even more exciting that I can't talk about that I just closed two deals on that. Well, I'm sure the headline news will let you know about it. And, of course, the left would, would turn it around and twist it and, and make the, all the good news about what's happening with me uh, in the entertainment industry a negative. Uh, they'll probably blame it on Trump and said that it was Trump made a phone call and that's why it's happening or something. I don't know. They'll create some <laughs> negative. They'll create some narrative that's not true. <laughs> well, that, that actually answers one of my questions about, you know, the backlash from Hollywood. But you are demonstrating that you can be independent, you can be libertarian, you can be conservative, or at least on different policies, embrace uh, a, a, a opposing viewpoint and still be successful in, in the entertainment business. Um, you know, Isaiah, you have given us a tremendous tremendous amount of food for thought you've given us <laughs> you've given us talking points when talking about you know what has the president done to help the black community you've given us talking points about what where pc culture is and what the future holds for it um and you've talked to us about you know personally why you know you've you've taken your personal experience as a liberator as a protector and use that in both acting but also in in politics today and so you 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 gave us a tease earlier about some of the projects that you have working um in the works but is there any is there one or two things what what is the uh isaiah washington legacy going to be that's our last question for you today as a protector and liberator at all costs by any means necessary very good. Very good. Well, you're already accomplishing that. So we are so, <laughs> <laughs> so thankful for you to, to join us today. And you know what, sir, I hope you would consider coming back to She Thinks podcast to, to share some other things that you may have coming up in the future. Hey, I'm open to it. Let's, I, I, I know, um, God willing, and uh, I feel that I've been blessed uh, through the grace of God immeasurably. 
um, throughout my life. Um, and like I said, none of us can get out of this life alive. Yes. But uh, no, no day is promised, no tomorrow is promised to any of us. So I just have to rely on the beauty and, um, and the support and the love that I do have. You know, I'll leave you with this. Someone yes. once told me years ago that, you know, no matter what you do in life, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you say, no matter how much you give, no matter how much you are patient and you're the, could be the best human being or not, only 15% of all the people you ever come in contact with for your entire life is going to hit your guts. It's going to be absolutely nothing you can say or do to change their mind. 15%. Guaranteed. That's the number. I was overwhelmed with that because in my ego, I thought, well, if I don't have 100% of the people liking what I am and liking what I do and supporting me, then I'm not doing a good job. And then that person said that that's ridiculous. You have 85% that loves you no matter what you say or do. Why not focus on that 85%? And that's what I've chosen to, chosen to do in my life. So when I get <laughs> pushback or negativity or counsel stuff, I go, oh, they're part of that 15%. <laughs> There's nothing I can say to change their mind. So why waste my time on arguing and battling with that 50% when I, I have so much work to do and so much love and support from the 85%? Wow. Very good. Well, at the Independent Women's Forum, we are trying to win hearts and minds, honestly, and by exposing uh, people to different ideas. So thank you, Isaiah, for joining us today. Um, and we hope you as listeners take something away from today's conversation. There was so much. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast of She Thinks or like the podcast in general, we'd love if you could take a moment to leave us a rating on, or review on iTunes. This really helps us ensure our message reaches as many Americans as possible. Please share this episode and let your friends know how they can find more She Thinks episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thank you for listening.